0: Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, April 19th, 2023, and the end of week 59 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,339 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 420 days since the large scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia Ukraine War. The Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that Ukrainian forces have retaken the battlefield initiative and are forcing the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, to make unfavorable decisions. Second, we maintain that Ukrainian forces have started to set conditions for an upcoming counteroffensive that will start in the next 9 to 23 days dependent on the weather, which is being uncooperative. In our assessment, it's more likely 17 to 23 days away without a significant improvement in the weather forecast. Third, we believe a large-scale Russian missile strike between April 19th and April 22nd remains possible, but our confidence is still dropping. The last large-scale precision missile attack was on March 9th. Fourth, the Russian Federation Armed Forces are combat-ineffective, and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. Fifth, we maintain the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase, and Ukrainian forces are executing a planned retrograde operation. Ukraine's ability to hold defensive lines over the last 10 days has not altered our assessment. Sixth, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions Particularly anti tank guided missiles or ATGMs. Seventh, we maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. And finally, Russian white nationalism, connected to the Russian Orthodox Church and senior policymakers within Russian President Vladimir Putin's orbit, are fueling religious and racial tension which is accelerating in the North Caucasus. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and the Russian MOD reported continued positional fighting in the area of Sinkivka. In the Kupiansk operational area, the Russian MOD reported positional fighting between squad-sized units near Kislevka with no change in the situation. The Kupiansk operational area was stable. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svatva operational area, the Russian MOD reported positional fighting between squad-sized units in the Novoselivska area. In the Kremina operational area, there was positional fighting south of Kremina near Dibrova and in the Serebryansky woods. Russian Airborne, or VDV, forces have been using a TOS-1 Sontsepec Multiple Launch Rocket System, or MLRS, on Ukrainian positions, supported by the Russian VKS using Fab 500 SE bombs to make incremental gains in the forests south of Kremina. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces attempted to advance on Spirne from the north and ended with the same outcome—heavy losses and a forced withdrawal to their original defensive positions. In Bakhmut, heavy fighting was reported in the north and center of the city. While some Russian sources made claims of heavy fighting in the south and southwest near the 504 highway ground line of communication—called a gloc that's a supply line—there was no intelligence to back up these claims. Ukrainian soldiers reported that fighting is pure urban warfare, with the flot, or forward line of friendly troops, the frontmost position on the battlefield, separated by 3 to 5 meters at times. Separated by only 3 to 5 meters at times. Ukrainian soldiers reported there were few penal units left, with the elite units of PMC Wagner now making up most of the opposing force within the city. In southwest Donetsk, they also reported a shift in tactics by Wagner mercenaries, moving away from repeated human wave attacks of squad or platoon-sized units meant to overwhelm defensive positions by the size of force or forcing Ukrainian weapons to overheat and fail. Instead, a squad-sized group of mercenaries move to the flot to conduct reconnaissance and launch harassing attacks to provoke a response and expose a Ukrainian position. Once the defensive position is found... Drones direct a raid that attempts to surround the Ukrainian hardpoint. Ukrainian soldiers said the process can take days to secure a single location. The Russian MOD reported that Russian forces conducted 63 fire missions in the Bakhmut operational area, and Army Aviation and the VKS carried out six airstrike sorties. Russian VDV forces launched another large attack north of Khromove. The T-506 highway G-lock remains usable, but very challenging. Russian mercenary milblogger Rivar claimed that the G-lock was under Russian fire control, but in the same report claimed that Ukrainian forces continue to rotate troops, material, and equipment into the city. By teleport, I guess. In the northern part of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner made incremental gains in the Rose Alley area, and we adjusted the map based on available intelligence, moving the line of conflict to the park's southern edge. It was confirmed that Ukrainian forces demolished the Palace of Culture on Peremochi Street but are holding PMC Wagner mercenaries at Oberoni Street and Control School Number 24. Ribar claimed PMC Wagner advanced on Tobukhina Street and captured the hospital. There are at least two problems with this claim. First, Neither PMC Wagner nor their marketing arm supported the report, and second, the hospital isn't even on Tolbuchina Street. Needless to say, we did not update the map or the gray area. In the center of Bakhmut, there were no reported changes in territorial control. The most significant combat continues in the areas of Railroad Station 1, Railroad Station 2, and the grain elevators, with Rybar claiming the grain elevators remain contested. The status of the bus terminal on the edge of Verkhny Park and of the hotel transit is unknown. The Russian MOD reported that 75% of the city's central, northern, and southern areas were under PMC Wagner's control, which was a clever way to say that there was no change. We did make a small change to the map north of Verkny Park, moving the line of conflict to the edge of the railroad tracks. In the southern part of Bakhmut, fighting continued along kursun Street, Ukrainian forces maintained control of the areas around Schools 2 and 40 and the T-504 Highway G-lock. Russian VDV forces made another push in the direction of Ivanivsky and once again failed to move the line of conflict. In the Kosyantinivka operational direction, Russian VDV forces attempted to advance in the direction of Predtechene and establish better positions west of the seversky Donetsk donbass canal. The attack was reported to be an unmitigated disaster, and Russian VDV forces were pushed back further east from their starting point. Due to a lack of visual evidence, however, we did not adjust the map. In the Avdiivka operational area, positional fighting continued along the H 20 highway between Novobakhmutivka and Novokalinov, with no change in the situation. Russian attempts to advance in the direction of Stepova and Berdichi from the base of the Krasnohorivka plateau failed. While Russian forces were able to push Ukrainian troops off the plateau in March, they have been entirely unable to establish military control and move artillery pieces to the area. In Avdiivka, Ukrainian forces repulsed an attack on the city's edge, which Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky visited yesterday, coming within three to five kilometers of the line of conflict and the very edge of the Russian-occupied stronghold of Donetsk. Zelensky told a formation of troops, quote, It's hard to see what Russian terrorists have done to this city and honor to each of our warriors, to all Ukrainian men and women who have been restraining and gradually destroying this Russian evil for 419 days, nine years already. I had the honor to congratulate Ukrainian soldiers and officers on Easter to present awards. I often thank them in my evening addresses for their accuracy and bravery for destroying the occupiers. End quote. Ukrainian officials are still searching for two children— whose guardians are hiding in defiance of a mandatory evacuation order for all children. A third child was found and relocated on Monday. A fourth was found on April 11th and was not previously reported. Ukrainian officials worked with the families for a month to facilitate voluntary relocation, but after a five-month-old infant was killed on March 30th in a Russian airstrike, Court action was taken to remove the children from family members after April 10th if they continued to refuse to evacuate. Fighting for control of the no-man's land between Vodyana and Sieverne continued with no change. Russia tried to improve its positions north of Pervomaiske and had marginal success, moving along a tree line 1 to 200 meters. Positional fighting continued near Nevelske with absolutely nothing to show for it. Fighting continued in the Marinka operational area along Druzhby Avenue, with no change there either. In the Vuhledar operational area, there were reports of positional fighting near the city of Vuhledar. A video showed Ukraine lost three armored vehicles during a reconnaissance in force probe of Russian defenses. KA-52 Alligator attack helicopters destroyed the tanks, providing close air support to Russian troops. In Mariupol, Russian tanks were being transported through the city, according to insurgents, from the direction of Manchush toward the Russian border. It was reported that there are twenty-five to 30,000 Russian troops in the Mariupol-Rayon, including the garrison within the city. Russian occupiers in Mariupol notified parents that heating season had ended in the city's schools and to plan accordingly. The notice was ironic, as over half of the schools operating in the shattered city already don't have heat. Moving on to Zaporizhia, A Ukrainian patrol boat was heavily damaged and possibly sunk when a Russian Lancet kamikaze drone hit it on the Dnipro River near Zaporizhia. In an unrelated attack, Ukrainian air defenses shot down six Shahed-136 kamikaze drones over Zaporizhia, according to Yuri Malashko, chairman of the Zaporizhia Oblast Military Administration. A seventh was downed in adjacent Dnipropetrovsk. In occupied Zaporizhia, the Russian Territorial Guard was going through the towns between Tolkmak and Vasilivka with loudspeakers, urging residents to evacuate. Insurgents in Militopol reported that half-height anti-tank Dragon's Teeth had started to move through the city again, and the number of Russian troops had increased, with the city being used as a transit node some assessment, Russian mail bloggers are again expressing the belief that a large Ukrainian counter-offensive will be launched in southwestern Donetsk or Zaporizhia, and the Russian MOD is sending clear signals that they're convinced of it too. The Russian MOD has been forced to commit tens of thousands of troops, heavy equipment, and logistics away from the Marinka, Avdiivka, Bakhmut, and Kremina operational areas. The placement of large reserve forces in Mariupol, in Donetsk, Zaporizhia, and activity in Kherson indicates that Kiev's information warfare is succeeding. Moscow is unsure where the Ukrainian offensive will be. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported 11 Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including one frigate and two Kilo class submarines capable of launching up to 16 caliber cruise missiles in total. Overnight, Russian forces launched 12 Shahed 136 kamikaze drones toward Odessa, with 10 shot down. Two struck a children's recreation center, obliterating the facility. In western and central Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River in Kherson. Free Kherson was hit by 79 fire missions that used 350 artillery rounds, mortars, grad rockets fired by MLRS, indirect tank fire, and drone-delivered IEDs. There were 12 fire missions on the city of Kherson alone, with 46 munitions striking the city. The central market was attacked, killing one person and wounding 10 the head of the Russian Occupation Administration in the Kherson region, Vladimir Saldo, announced that all boats, including civilian pleasure craft, would be confiscated to support, quote, military needs. Some assessment. It is another data point indicating Russian military leaders have significant concern that Ukraine could attempt an amphibious assault on occupied Kherson across the Dnipro, forcing the defense of a third axis. While we have refrained from speculating on the details of a Ukrainian offensive, we have pretty high confidence it won't be a contested wet crossing of the Dnipro. In north and northeastern Ukraine, in Sumy, Rychky was shelled by artillery and grad rockets from across the Russian border, killing an 83-year-old pensioner and wounding one more. A home and farm outbuildings were destroyed in the attack. On the Russian front, Russian leaders claim that a security camera caught the impact of a kamikaze drone near the commissariat office in Novozybkov, Bryansk. Watch the video for yourself and tell us what you think. We do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Our analysts were not convinced. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ole Kotenko, Commissioner for Persons Missing in Special Circumstances, said, quote, a bit more than 7,000, Ukrainian soldiers are missing in action. Kotenko estimated that 60 to 65 percent of the missing, the equivalent of a full brigade, are being held as prisoners of war, and their information has not been shared by Russia with the International Committee of the Red Cross. We've called out poor artillery discipline by Russian forces multiple times. Now it's Ukraine's turn. Operational Armed Forces of Ukraine released a video of an m 77 howitzer being fired, and it is not good. The artillery unit is firing at a very high angle, implying that it is very close to the front line, and the howitzer is not properly anchored to the ground it is highly unlikely that whatever was being aimed at was hit. Ole Barna, a former member of Ukraine's parliament, was killed in action on the front line yesterday. Barna, a human rights activist and politician, was a People's Deputy of Ukraine from 2014 to 2019. He began volunteering with Ukraine's armed forces immediately after Russia began its full-scale invasion of Ukraine on February 24, 2022. He was 55 years old. Dmitry Peskov made another hollow statement about Moscow's willingness to negotiate a peace settlement with Kiev. He said the Russian Federation was, quote, ready to listen to any ideas regarding the settlement in Ukraine, which take into account the interests of Moscow, end quote. So that last part indicates that the Kremlin has no interest in good-faith negotiations, adding the same caveat that any negotiation must accept the so-called realities on the ground. In what we consider a significant indication that Ukraine is close to launching its offensive, 200 border guards in the Kyiv region donated blood. Over 90 liters were given to the military in a single day, a Ukrainian record, according to officials. The publicity event included defenders of Mariupol who had recently been repatriated, assessment here. Whole Blood has a shelf life of 21 to 35 days and would be a critical asset to have on hand before a large-scale offensive. While Ukrainian officials accurately stated the donations are for wounded soldiers, outside of Bakhmut, the operational tempo is the lowest since August of 2022, when Russia was conducting major offensive operations around Ovdivka and the rest of the line of conflict was frozen. We believe the high-profile nationwide push for blood donations is a leading indicator that the offensive is coming. The Special Prosecutor's Office in Ivano-Frankivsk has opened up an investigation into the beating of a serviceman of one of the units of the National Guard. There were few details, but local officials said that, quote, urgent investigative actions are being carried out, end quote, and witnesses and the victim were being interviewed. The United States Air Force announced that the 102nd Air Intelligence Wing operations at Otis Air National Guard Base in Sandwich, Massachusetts, has done a complete stand-down. All intelligence operations have ceased and were transferred to other units as part of the ongoing investigation into how hundreds of documents were linked by Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira and then distributed on Telegram and Twitter months after the security breach started. We had previously assessed that the leak would be career-ending for Teixeira's entire chain of command. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand?